I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I'll be talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. And today I'm joined by a chef, a creative perfectionist, an innovator, an ambassador for supporting local whenever he can, an advocate for the vegan, a mastermind, a great sense of humour and a lover of Brussels sprouts, head chef of Corinthia Palace Hotel, Stefan Hogan. Today we're going to be talking about the impact of the pandemic, both on the industry and on home cooking. We're also going to be talking about how we can all improve in the kitchen. And we're also going to have some thoughts about sustainable sustenance for the future. Stefan! Hey, I didn't recognize myself there. I make you sound good, eh? Who was that? Who was that? It's not me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting quite good at this. I know, I know. (laughs) These introductions are becoming quite creative. Um, Stefan Hogan, you are an astounding, astounding chef. Thank you. It is, and you you happen to have brought goodies for me today as well, which means I'm I'm obliged to say that. Um, But uh, I I just want to, before we go into, you know, what's happening at the moment and and, uh, cooking for each and every individual and so on and so forth, I want to just talk about your backstory. Okay. Because I don't think I've ever asked you, I've interviewed you a lot of times, but I've never actually asked you, how did you become a chef? So... At the age of nine, I always liked baking. So, you know, at home I used to bake on the Sundays and um, do cookies and uh, biscuits for the family. So I was kind of like always, I always liked cooking, but um, I don't think I really want, it wasn't a career I was, I was thinking of particularly taking up. So and what was it in mind? What were you thinking of doing? Please so don't say that you wanted to no, be like so, so with my father being ex-army, so for from the age of about nine until I think into the age of 13, 14, my dream was to become a commando, to join the army. That's quite far away from being a chef. Yes, and um, I did actually, there used to, my dad used to buy the British papers and there used to be the clippings on the paper where you could send off to, to apply for the prospectus. So I did actually send off and when I did receive the prospectus, I would have had to be living in the UK for five consecutive years, even though I had a British passport because I was born there. So I thought, that's not going to work. I'll be like 19 and I'm too late. At the age of 14, when there was the vocational teachers talking about career possibilities, I, I decided to go and see what was then the catering school in Valletta. And I thought, maybe this is actually something that I do like doing because I was still doing it at home, you know, cooking and doing salads for my mum and dad and, you know, decorating them. So I, I, I had this kind of like inclination, but maybe... It just um, happened because I went to the I, to the school. I looked at it. I, I looked saw what they were doing. I thought, yes, this is something that I can possibly get around to. I, I knew I wasn't um, a desk person. I knew I wasn't somebody who was like a 95. My grandmother was at the bar. You know, she had Jesse's bar. So I used to enjoy to go and help her when I was like 14, 15. So it was, it's kind of like a natural occurrence, but you know, it didn't happen naturally. It's fantastic. I mean, I have to say, you know, thank goodness that the army didn't take you. But but I'm so glad that you ended up being a chef because you are a stunningly excellent chef. I think possibly the kitchen also appealed to me as I sort of like went into the industry is that there still is the discipline. Mm. You can't procrastinate. You can't put off, you know, something that you need to do to do it tomorrow because we're always, you know, not fighting, but we're always working against very strict and uh, uh, you know and define the deadlines and timelines so i kind of like liked the um the the discipline as well in the kitchen 
Well, we're going to come to that in a second because I really want to find out exactly what you do do because you are a head chef uh, within your capacity. But before we get there, I want to come to something that's very timely at the moment. And this is a very key uh, issue. In recent weeks, we've seen new measures to close down restaurants uh, in this move to reduce the COVID numbers, of course. Do you think this was the right move? I think this is the right move. And I think it's however I think it's a little bit too late. I think it should have been before. I think we should have gone into uh, a stricter lockdown before now. I think we are now reaping what we have sown. I think possibly um, there there was this false sense of security that we that we were living in, um, and maybe we didn't take we didn't take it as seriously as we should have. At the moment, my my real worry is that come eleventh of April. Will it will we be in the right place to open up, or will we be in a place where we'll need to extend this this lockdown? You know, th- I mean, I I read a lot about what's happening at the UK at the moment. So, you know, how badly affected the restaurants and bars are in the UK, and I read a lot about um, uh, the, there's the chef Tom Carriage who is in you know in currently London, but is a is a highly respected chef gentleman across the industry. And uh, he's saying that clearly the, the science is telling us or is showing us that the, um, the spread is not coming from restaurants. A lot of restaurants have taken this very seriously and are applying um, uh, social distance. So a friend of mine owns a restaurant in Valletta spoke yesterday about, you know, I have done a lot of sacrifices in my two restaurants in Valletta. A 40-seater restaurant is seating now 19 covers so i am open i am open for business am i running at a profit no am i running at a loss probably am i just about breaking even maybe so you know a lot of these small restaurants independently owned restaurants have um, done lots of sacrifices so uh, coming back to what you just said a second ago if the restaurants have made these taken these measures we have to sanitize when we go in an awful lot of restaurants are still taking temperatures um we have to keep our distances and so on if it's not coming from here and i'm asking you in a layman's capacity yeah. not as an expert where is it coming from i mean if you look at the statistics it's like it's coming from households so it's it's people congregating in households um and i think just you know there's a percentage of the population, I think, sort of like in the, I would say in the sort of like the 20 to 30 bracket, who clearly do not feel that this affects them as much as the elder generation. I think that's how it's kind of like, you know, the narration is. But I think as, 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 as time has moved on, we're seeing the, the people who are being hospitalized getting younger mm. and younger. So I think... Where is it coming from? I think it's, you know, a lot of people not really taking it as seriously as they need to you know you need to wear the mask you need to socially distance you need to stay home you know if you do go out to eat it's it's in a restaurant or if you did go out to eat it was in a restaurant where you know you could see that you know the rules were being followed what is the impact for decisions like this what is the impact that has been uh, for you over the past year we are just a week or so over uh, covid uh, lockdown being announced last year which uh, was phenomenal it was an, an incredible sight seeing all the streets empty but what is it what's it been for you both professionally and of course personally as well 
Well, I can I can tell you how it's affecting me personally. We had the restaurants that were moving along, you know, we're not at full capacity, but we're, we're doing a number of covers on a daily basis. We've got some residents in the hotel. There's a bit of movement at the moment. As you can imagine, most of us in the industry are looking towards Easter as our next kind of like big, big piece of potential business that is really, all this is doing is just keeping us alive, you know, just keeping your nose above the water and breathing. In a sense, you know, hoping that Easter will be um, a barometer of what the summer is going to be. Looking forward, you know, up to a couple of days ago with a sense of maybe the worst is over, you know, maybe, you know, come summer we'll be, you know, we'll be having some guests around the pool, we'll be cooking and the restaurant will be, you know, there'll be a level of activity which was a bit better than it was last year. This sense of, you know, we're moving forward. This, to me, I mean, it was really sort of like, you know, it really, it was a shock. It came as a big shock. I didn't think we were going to go into a lockdown, first and foremost, because I didn't think this was our strategy as a country, honestly and truly. I thought, you know, um, we were going to stay open and um, it was our strategy. Clearly, you know, the the science and maybe the, the medical um, side of, of 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 our society has deemed that you know this is the way that we need to move forward, and obviously, the best thing to do is 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 now to take the medical advice and and hope that come April 11th we can reopen the restaurants. Well, you you know exactly what I'm talking about because you build up to go for a run. You know you get your training, you're moving, you're you're getting your mind. It's not the body; it's 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 the mental. You know where you're getting ready to say, oh, okay. We're going to be cooking Easter lunch. We'll have a lot of covers for lunch, summer. And then you're like, oh, no, we're not. We're going to be closed for Easter. Yes. And this is all, this is, you know, across the island, all us chefs, you know, the the, the, the restaurant community. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it was, a, it came as a big shock. I can see it on your face and I can see that it, it is having an impact. I'm also going to, I want to ask you about the impact that it's having on people's eating habits. Because uh, have you, I mean, you, maybe you're not the expert to, to comment on, but has, has there been a, a COVID impact on people's eating habits? Are we eating better because we're eating at mm. home? Or has this been a big win for the fast food chains? Hmm. I wouldn't really know how to answer that, but I would imagine that a lot of people are are definitely eating at home more. And I would say that I wouldn't say that everybody's ordering takeaway food on a daily basis because you don't. That's financially not 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 viable. So I would say that the, the fast food chains and the restaurants that have pivoted to be offered their their food on a on a delivery platform are probably benefiting from this. It doesn't mitigate the, the the drop in business that they will have in the restaurant, but it definitely helps. It's what we're doing as well, so it it is um, a welcome additional revenue stream to the to the operation. And I would like to think that people are trying to see how they can eat better because clearly science has also shown us that if you're healthy and you have a good immune system and you're taking the you know you're taking the proper vitamins and you know. You're you're not overweight and um, you're you're you know you're 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 healthy. 
then you have a better chance of, even if you do get the virus, then you can fight it faster and, and recover quicker. Well, one of the side effects that has occurred during this COVID pandemic is that a lot of people have been getting outside. Bicycles of uh, sales have been on the increase. Footwear, outdoor footwear has been on the increase. People cannot travel, so they have been going out and enjoying the countryside, which is very, very positive. And I would love to think that people are doing what you are suggesting there by eating uh, healthily to help their immune system because we of course are seeing these these astonishing figures right now. How do you do that? That's a very practical question for you Stefan. How do you you are a gentleman who makes beautiful food but how do you eat practically for healthy pandemic season? I think you know it's it's going back to the basics really so you're eating vegetables that are local that are in season, you're not cooking with too much butter, you're not cooking with too much fats, you're keeping, as, you're keeping it light, you're using um, olive oils, you're using um, a lot of herbs, a lot of um, spices to flavor the food, you're trying to, to include a lot more vegetables in your diet, you're trying to move away from, uh, from a meat-centric diet, so we know the damage that um, the production of um, of beef um, uh, does to the, to the environment. And we've touched on this before where, you know, it's not a question of 20% of the population becoming vegan or 30% of the population becoming vegetarian. It's about 80 or 90% of the population becoming flexitarians, which means that you appreciate that vegetable-based meal can be just as good as a meat or a fish-based meal. It can be just as delicious just as nutritious and just as interesting and appetizing and looking at ways how to use the vegetables use local support local it's important that we support our local agricultural community if we stop buying their vegetables because the imported vegetables are cheaper then they have no incentive and we all need to appreciate that this time last year there was a big question mark if we are food secure do we if we were to lock our borders and you know no containers were coming from Sicily with food, would we be able to sustain ourselves with fresh fruit and vegetables? And the answer was no, because the the agriculture committee is geared up to to produce so much food because they know that that's that's the maximum they can sell. So we need to be more in tune with what is local and support them. Well, I love your term flexitarians because I'm suddenly seeing Stefan Hogan doing yoga. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned about the local produce and there is something uh, incredible about the local produce here in Malta because of the position that we are in the Mediterranean and the, the wind, wind and the rain and the way that, that uh, all of the, the ecosystem comes together. The fresh fruit and veg in Malta is regarded uh, certainly, especially with regards to the strawberries, as some of the best in the world. And we ourselves don't really appreciate this. But you're talking to, to someone who grew up with smash, which was powdered mashed potato in a tin that you boiled with hot water. And maybe I am a prized example of someone who doesn't quite know how to make a really good vegetable-based meal. How do, you, how do you do that? I mean, you mentioned spices and herbs. I mean, if I was going to go on a journey to cook better, where do I start? I, I think, you know, today definitely this is where the internet is a blessing i mean there's a lot of good things you know and as, and as everything in life there's the good and the bad but if i was to look at the availability of what you can find on the internet in terms of google cauliflower recipe and you'll come up with hundreds and thousands of 
recipes and you just you, you browse and you look and you find and you'll come across a site that cooks in a way or presents the food in a way that is appealing to you and you just try the recipes i think you know in terms of spices herbs and everything else it's all readily available on the island i mean it's not an excuse if you want to substitute an ingredient you can actually just google what is the substitute for whatever if you want to the the information is there for sure 100 percent. it's just finding the right medium that appeals to your to your taste and to your to your time frame as well because obviously some recipes involve a lot of preparation but there are some recipes which are very simple to knock up very tasty can even be raw no need to cook and you can just experiment try if you don't like it don't do it again if you like it try it improve on it give it your personal twist a recipe is never static it's always in motion you know it's what you put into it as you know in terms of time in terms of effort in terms of the ingredients in terms of the quality you know just because a dish looks like that on the photo and you follow the exact same steps does not necessarily mean you're going to end up with the exact same I'm so glad product. you said that I'm so glad you said it, that. It Mine never happen. ends up like the photo. It never does. But it's not wrong. I mean, there's no, you know, when you look at a plate of food, there's no wrong way of plating a plate of food or a right way. It's, it's very personal. But you, t- you, you talk with passion. You talk with a big smile on your face. Um, and if that's the case, if, that's, if we have the produce here, if we have amazing produce in Malta, and we'll come to, to eating less meat in a second. But if we do, and we are all trying to, or should be trying to think more consciously about what we're putting in our bodies, why are we not doing that? I think it comes down to discipline. I mean, you know, people who practice um, sport or an art understand that you need to block off a piece of time of the day where you need to practice playing the drums for example if you want to become good or if you want to do something outside your normal day to relax so you need to set aside a chunk of time to, to cook I mean you can't expect to um, there, needs, there needs to be an amount of planning you can't expect to just you know rock up and uh, expect that you're going to knock something up in five minutes it, you know you need to think about the ingredients need to think about the time that you need to cut the veg the cooking or no cooking but there need you need to dedicate some time so the people need to find the time and say you know this 45 minutes is a worthwhile investment investment for me to dedicate this to cooking a good nutritious meal for me for my family for my partner whatever but you need to say i'm going to set this 45 minutes whatever and this comes back to the discipline that you were talking about yes, before yeah. and the discipline in the kitchen. Before we get to that, what you actually do, Stefan Hogan, uh, I want to just go back, as I said, to something you mentioned before. You talked about reducing the meat in our diet. Yep. Now, we, di- we here in Malta, we love our meat. Yep. And you mentioned about the environment. And, of course, uh, the world's population has tripled, almost tripled in the last 60 years, which means that we are having to sustain that population. And if we are all eating meat, then that uh, presents its own issues. Is that, do you see that that is something that you carry through with your ethos into your kitchen or is, are you driven by demand? Um, I try to balance out my menus, so I'll answer the last part first. Any of our vegetarian or vegan dishes on the menus, whenever I'm thinking of what I'm going to put on the plate, I think that, you know, we need to put as much effort into creating this plate of food 
as we do into um, a meat-centric plate of food. So just because it's a vegan dish, I don't say, you know, oh, we're only going to sell one of this because, you know, we don't get many vegans. That's not how it works. You know? So in my mind, I'm thinking, if I'm a vegan and I'm sitting down with somebody who's a meat eater and two plates of food come out, I need to feel that I've been treated equally with equal importance by the kitchen and the way the food has been presented and the way the, the plate of food has been thought out and processed and put on the t and put together. Um, when it comes to the meat, I mean, science clearly tells us that by 2050, the population in the world will be over 10 billion. Science also tells us that this decade is a watershed decade for 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 the world in terms of changing our eating habits. Science also tells us that there is absolutely no way that our current protein-centric diet, the American-style diet, with a big chunk of meat at the center of our meal, is absolutely unsustainable. It's coming. Change is coming. We have to look at it, we have to embrace it, and we have to start to learn to work with it. Because it's coming whether we like it or not. So we will need to start to look at how to use protein more efficiently, how to wean ourselves off our absolute love for beef and look at our, and start to love fish more because fish is marginally more sustainable than than beef and be more flexitarians and you know eating more vegetables and more yoga and i love the thought that you put into that and i love the fact that you've you know this this is something that you've looked into you've researched i had the pleasure of being served a meal from your kitchen and i think it was five courses and at the end of it you uh, turned around to us all and said, well, you know, did you notice that that, f that meal was vegetarian? And not one of us at the table realized it was vegetarian. I think today with, again, with the internet, with technology that helps as well in the kitchen, you know, of how we can cook vegetables and manipulate vegetables to, to give them different textures and different flavors. There's no excuse why a vegetarian or a vegan meal cannot be as interesting as, um, as a meat-centric meal. I'm going to change the topic completely now, all Mr. Right. Stefan. All right, all right, all right, all right. Um, I'm going to ask you what you actually do. You are the head chef at the Corinthia Palace Hotel. Okay. And you have a number of kitchens. And let's talk about a, a, an out-of-pandemic situation and not a current pandemic okay. situation. Um, if the world was all shiny and lovely and beautiful, what do you actually do? So I try to spend my time between cooking and obviously the other part of the job is office work, which I don't really enjoy, but discipline. So I have to set, you know, I have to set time during the day to do the the office work um but i spend a lot of when i do when i am in the office i like to spend my time thinking about menus and looking at you know forward thinking and also thinking about how we can make a dish better how we can um, make a dish look better how we can make a dish taste better how we're okay, well, how, how i'm going to stop you right there okay what can you do and because this could apply to us at, at yeah. home as well what can you do to make a dish taste better and look better what's the tricks so wh when you when you're looking at a dish you're looking at not just the appearance you're thinking um the taste profiles of the different ingredients so you know what's salty what's what's a bit savory what's a bit sweet what's a bit sour how they complement each other you're thinking about textures so because obviously the worst thing about food is if you were to eat something 
and it's all the same texture. So you get food fatigue. After a while, you're eating purely for the, just to eat, as, as um, to sustain your body. Whereas it shouldn't be like that. It should be a pleasure. So every forkful, every spoonful, every mouthful is interesting because you've picked up some cauliflower that's been roasted with a piece of cauliflower that's been pickled. So you get the char and you get the sweet and sour from the pickle. And then you pick up a piece of pickled cauliflower with a cauliflower puree. And you think, oh, that's creamy. And this is, you know, so they complement each other. So you're thinking about how to introduce all these different elements to a dish to make it, from a customer's perspective, an interesting and pleasing um, uh, eating experience. Okay. And what else do you do? You, you obviously have people that, uh, that work for you. So you're guiding them as well. Yeah, I, I think I'd rather work for me, working with me. Okay. I, I, I really feel that, you know, it's, it's very much a, um, a collaboration and it's very much a team effort. You know, when you, when you, when you see a menu or whenever you see a, a plate of food, it's a combination of different people bringing different elements of the dish together, supporting the team and, and, and their learning and, and their grow, growing in, in the trade and me learning from them and us learning together because we, we see something on the internet and we try something new. And this, is, you know, this, is, this is my day. It's continue, you know, just, just changing. And that's what I love about my job. You know, no, no one day is the same. You know, you could be sitting in the office one day and thinking, oh, today I'm going to write the menu. And then you have some VIPs coming for lunch and you have to drop what you're doing. You have to get out and you have to look at the, look what you've got. You've got, you know, an hour to prepare it. And you think, right, what can I do in an hour? This is what I love as well. You know, just creating on the, you know, on the go, you know, being under pressure. It's also part of the excitement of, of, the, of the job. Well, you see, now you've just blown away my preconceptions because I was assuming as, as a head chef, you would be turning out the same menu day in, day out. You have a set menu, you change the menu, what, every, what, every quarter? Every, every season. Every yes. season. Um, and, and, you know, your team and you and your team will be just churning out the, the same food, and that's not the case. So if, for example, I don't know, we'll have a... Let's, let's, let's stick with the cauliflower team, okay? So if you have a dish on the menu with, with cauliflower and you get a comment from, from somebody who came for lunch and they're vegan and they'll say to you, oh, you know, I didn't like this element of the dish, then we'll cook it because, you know, you have to take feedback. Our job is, you know, we, you know we're there to serve the customer. You welcome feedback like that? Yes. And you know, all feedback, you know. You, you, I mean, as a chef, you, you, you can't be proud. You can't. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to listen to what the customer is telling you and you have to, you have to evaluate it and, and, and see, you know, whether that, that comment holds water. Maybe it was the dish wasn't executed correctly on that day, maybe. Or maybe the, the comment is valid and we need to look at maybe changing an element of the dish to make it more appealing, more appetizing. So I would say a dish on the menu, it doesn't preclude you from, from looking at it after a couple of weeks and thinking, oh, you know, if I was to put this type of herb with, with the sauce, it, it'll probably taste a lot better. So let's change it. No, no. I mean, no, no dish is set in stone. Let me ask you a couple of questions before I come to the end and ask for some tips and some help from you. I'm going to just throw some questions at you. Best meal you've ever had? Best meal I've ever had. I would have to say um, per se in New York. And what was the dish? Um, no, it was the full menu. I mean, it, it was um, a dream of mine to, to have a, a meal cooked by a chef, Tom Keller. It wasn't him. It was his, his protege, but in his restaurant in New York. I mean, I've, I've loved this chef for years. You know, he's got a restaurant in, 
in California and in Napa Valley, the French Laundry. And I've got his cookbooks at home and I just love his recipes and his how he embraces seasonality and, and all, the th- all the stuff that I love about, you know, my job. You know, just the level of perfection in, in each dish, you know, serving it to 90 customers. You just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful experience. So was it the food or the experience? It was the food, primarily because, you know, the ingredients being used and how they were presented and, and the, the cleanliness of the, of, the, of the taste and, you know, the, the full-on flavors of every ingredient that was on the plate and how, they, and how they season it to perfection to make sure, you know, you don't need salt and pepper on the table. This dish is seasoned to its optimum level for you to enjoy. Now, the, ve- the very strangest thing that you've ever eaten. When I tried to cook an ostrich egg omelette, and not successful no i cooked it but <laughs> i looked at this omelet and for the love of me i couldn't get myself to eat it <laughs> i tried i did try it because i always say you know you have to try it but it was like it was like the the, the tiniest of slivers <laughs> <laughs> and it tasted good or not yeah i guess it, you know it was just i it was a mental thing more than anything and another thing that i did detest eating one time sea turtle oh wow many many years ago and again i i didn't enjoy it but that was purely because i i couldn't get myself to to think of a sea turtle being harvested for food so it was again a very much of a mental block and i i said no and no, i i don't want it fair enough well uh, your go-to comfort favorite food oh my plate of pasta is this a Maltese thing? Because every no. Maltese person I ask is, it's no. a plate of pasta. I mean, cooked by me, for me. Okay. Yes, not any plate of pasta. <laughs> not any plate of pasta, I'm A little sorry. bit fussy there. Yes. Okay, so how are you cooking? If you, this is your comfort food, you're going home on a Friday night after work and you want to cook yourself some dinner. How are you cooking? You're not going to share that, are you? No, I am. It's, it, it's going to be either a carbonara or it's going to be an aglio really simple you know no 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 faffing around but i just love you know clean flavors you know but that that comforting that comforting feeling of a night place of pasta listen uh, stefan it is absolutely amazing talking to you and thank you so much thank you for having for, me for, for spending the time with us i want you to finish with the last word for anyone that's listening to this and is you know we're still st- stuck in a pandemic we're still stuck in this this situation and i think you mentioned before about taking the time to learn to cook better and it's an amazing opportunity yeah. bearing in mind of course that the restaurants right now are closed three tips think local research the recipe and keep it simple and build up your repertoire so i think you know if you if you if you're not comfortable cooking you can start with a very simple even a simple soup you know a simple potato and leek soup if you research and you you know you cook it properly you'll love it and it'll be it'll become a staple so you know just enjoy and you need to enjoy you need to enjoy cooking you have to put the love into the food if you don't put love into the food you can tell I love that big smile on your face. Thank you so much, Stefan Hogan. And we look forward to this all being over and being able to enjoy your food again. 